we finish uh, a look at John's letters today in 3 John, page 1026 of the small print Bibles. This is the word of God. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are who testify to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Amen. And we thank God for his word. First, second, and third John. Every late night infomercial that I have ever seen offers every single one of us change. It offers every single one of us a, a fresh start, a, a new body, maybe a, a healthier lifestyle, whatever it might be, easier times in the kitchen. There's, there's one that's caught my eye at the minute, this wee crock pot kind of thing. You put loads of grub in it, close it, and five minutes later, You've got a lovely omelette with cheese on top. Everything that we are sold in this world is to make you happier. It's to make you better. It's to bring change to your life where everything else has failed. And even in these days of uh, posters up the lampposts, every single buddy that's going to call at your door is offering you change. As I drove back from Board Mills this morning at the dawn service, there was a picture of Naomi Long on a lamppost offering change. And on down there was Walter Lyons of the 123 UUP offering change. And even when I came in here and I was talking to Geordie Griffiths, he's going to stand in Newcastle, 123 Geordie G, and he's offering change. But folks, none of that gets the job done, ultimately. Half the stuff you buy goes onto the sink and you forget all about it and it doesn't change your life. That bit of exercise equipment that you spent a fortune on, well, your belly's still touching your toes. It, it hasn't fixed that problem. And politicians come and go and it seems everything stays the same. 
Do you know what the reality is for you and me this morning? Today you don't come into this church to hear me preach politics or or to sell you something from this pulpit that's going to fix your sore back or, or make you look better with your brighter skin or nicer hair. None of that is what concerns us. Instead, today I can climb into this pulpit and speak words of eternal life to you which truly get that job done and bring change to all who will believe. That's Easter, isn't it? What happened all those years ago, that extraordinary few days, all those years ago in Jerusalem, in the Middle East, that has changed everything. The story of this carpenter's son who we know is the son of God, fully God, fully man, without sin. And he goes to that wicked and cruel cross on our behalf, carrying not his own sin, but ours. And he dies there, he kneels it to the cross, he is a propitiation, a a sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God. And he dies there, he he lifts the curse from all who will believe. And you think that in itself is a wonderful story, but what do they do? They put his dead body into a tomb and they find on this day that the stone is rolled away and Christ is risen. There's change for you. Imagine sticking that on a poster and putting that up a lamppost. Imagine a politician coming round and knocking your door and saying to you in English or, or Irish or whatever language they're speaking, Christ is risen. That's what I stand for. That's my message to the people. Vote for me. That's what it's all about. You might be tempted to vote for such a candidate that took that message seriously. Because everything, my brothers and sisters, has changed. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, that if this, if this is not true, then you and me are to be pitied above all. You and me are to be seen as fools. We are to be mocked and scorned. If, if we have staked our lives on the fact that Christ has been raised and he hasn't actually been raised, then you and I have believed in vain. Paul says, if Christ is raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. This is what the stakes are. If Christ is still in the tomb, if Christ is still dead, then then all of this is for nothing, says Paul. If Christ has not been raised, then We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, says Paul, then not even Christ has been raised. And if this is true, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Paul says if the resurrection is not a reality, then we may as well live In this same chapter, by the phrase, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If Christ has not been raised and all of this is empty, you may as well get yourself up to Barry's tomorrow and spend everything you've got. You may as well go to the Remore in Portrush and eat whatever they're serving, even if it's got rot in it or not. Eat it all. Because if there is no resurrection from the dead, then everything's pointless. You may as well party, you may as well spend your money, don't save it up because you can't take it with you and there's nothing to come because the dead are not raised. Friends, that is not the Christian hope. Today I stand before you not to say that that the resurrection is a fraud, it certainly is not. 
but with the Apostle Paul to proclaim that in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Today our Savior is not in a tomb in Jerusalem. Today he is not in a lost grave somewhere like so many other figures of history. Today he is alive forevermore. The Son of God, crucified for sin, dead and buried in the tomb, but alive and on his way back. There's our hope. There's our hope. And with joy this morning, at the back of the manse of Trinity Board Mills, because the minister down there has got a field. I don't have a field in Balnehinch. Shame on you for, for not giving me a field. The minister down there has got a field. And there we were, stand up this wee hill in the minister's field at Board Mills, and there's me preaching my heart out, and I was trying to get a wee bit of push into it because I wanted everybody in their beds in that road to hear the message that Christ has been raised. There's our hope. And why do we do strange things like that? Get up super early on a morning like this and, and climb up hills and, and make breakfast? Why do we do it? Because Christ is alive. My friends, do you see how extraordinary that is? Do you realize that the, the truth of the Christian faith is centered around these wonderful, joyous promises of God that, that Jesus has been raised from the dead, he has died for sin, and all who put their trust in him will not perish but will stand again. There's our Christian hope. And do you know what? If this is the last day of my life, I go to be with Jesus. By faith in Christ, I go to paradise. That paradise that was promised to that thief on the cross, that's where I get to go to. Not because of my works, but because of his works. Because I have received Christ by faith, I have repented of my sins, I have trusted in Christ, and I go to be with Jesus. There's our hope. But what we often forget about as Christians is it's bigger than that. Because one day when Christ returns and he stands in judgment over everyone who has ever lived, those who have trusted on him on his right go away in the glory and those on his left go to everlasting punishment and those on his right will stand in glorious resurrected bodies forevermore. You see, whilst I go to paradise and it will be wonderful, only when Christ returns do we see the full glory of his saving plan. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Brothers and sisters, there will be a day where your body will not be held by the grave that it has been placed in. There will be a day that body and soul will be reunited. And, and when we talk about that, often we get to a point where we talk and debate and argue and, and bold people will say, well, I have my hair back. I hope so. What age will I be when we're resurrected? Uh, will we wear clothes or will it be like Eden? Will we all be naked? Will I have a big belly like this when we're resurrected? We, we get into all those traps and talk about all that stuff. And you know what? Whilst all of that is, is up in the air for us to debate, it's not the main thing. The main thing is Jesus. The main thing is that he is not in the tomb. And just as he is not in the tomb, then so one day will we not be in the grave. Because Christ is risen. And by faith, paradise awaits. And by faith, we do not fear the judgment. And by faith, we know a resurrection of the dead is coming. And by faith, we know we will stand again made perfect. Not with sin. 
we will be presented blameless before the Father. Jesus has done that. That's why this day is of huge significance. And that's why the change that the Christian church has proclaimed is real change. Not late night TV, get your master card out to buy an exercise bit of equipment change, but, but real, lasting, everlasting, eternal, forever change. Those who trust in Christ will never be put to shame. And it is exactly that that John says in his third and final letter. He writes again as the elder to someone called Gaius, whom I love in truth. And he is rejoicing in these opening verses because he hears in verse 3 that the brothers uh, came to him and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. John delights that, that even in these few years since the resurrection, these brothers and sisters in Christ are still walking in the truth. It was as important then as it is now. And today, how do we respond to this glorious gospel? What do we do with the news that Christ was crucified for sin and raised for our justification? Well, we believe it and we walk in it and we defend it and we contend for it. That is what we do. And brothers and sisters, if, if John were alive today and writing to us, I, I hope he would be able to say, Eden Grove, I am delighted that you are walking in the truth. That you have not grown to despise the truth. That you have not grown to, to water it down. That you have not grown to, to make it seem as if it's, it's less important. I love nice buildings. I really do. I love history, I, I really do, but did you hear the whole rigmarole and hoo-ha when, when Notre Dame uh, was burnt? I'm sorry to see that. Don't criticize me if you were a friend of Notre Dame and you're sending in your pension to help rebuild it. That's, that's up to you. But as I listened, I just thought, folks, you have missed the point here. Jesus has not required of us these elegant, magnificent, glorious buildings. He has not required office to build him biggest spires in the world and to rebuild it. He does not require that from us. Instead, what concerns the Lord is that all the men and women who go to gaze upon the beauty of the cathedral in Paris would instead gaze upon the beauty of the crucified yet risen Savior. That's what concerns the Lord. And that's why the blight of Presbyterianism is when we get our knickers in a twist over the buildings. This is just a means to an end. This will not last. This will not stand. And whenever I hear about Parisians or Balnehentians or Board Millsians or whoever it is fighting about buildings, that is not what the Lord requires. The Father, when He gives us this truth, He has given us. 66 books of truth, and every single one of them point us to Jesus. Every single book, like Jude says, now to him, now to him, now to him. Not a cathedral devoted to the blessed mother of our Lord, but instead lives that are devoted to our Lord. Lives that sing and rejoice and praise now to him. Now to him, now to Jesus, crucified and raised, now to him. That's what fires the Christian church, not the size of your steeple, but walking in the truth and loving the truth 
And as John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. 2,000 years on, may we never depart from that. May we never believe the lies that say that Jesus just showed us the way. He merely made it possible. He gave us an example. And now if we are good like Jesus, then maybe one day, perhaps, fingers crossed, we might get to heaven too. That's not the truth. As I preached last week in Second John, Jesus is the truth. And I assure you, as I stand before you today, if you know Christ, if you know him as the truth, then surely the truth will set you free. Not this nonsense about a United Ireland or a Protestant Ulster or all the rubbish that's blighted this nation, but Christ sets us free. And only Jesus sets us free. That's Easter, my brothers and sisters. That's the truth that these men and women in 3 John were, were standing for and caused John to rejoice and to delight him. I'm so glad, he says. I'm so glad with great joy to hear that you are walking in the truth. And more than that, there are men and women, says John, who have gone out for the sake of the name. He says, you have been good to these brothers. They're strangers to you. Verse 5, they testify to your love before the church. And you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For verse 7, they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Doesn't that humble you folks when you read that? Doesn't it amaze you that, that, that since Christ's death and resurrection, there have been countless men and women who have, have gone to all sorts of places? That this very hour that, that we are here in Balmahinch, there are men and women all across this world for the sake of the name of Christ? Doesn't that cause you to marvel? Do you know that every single one of the disciples, except John, we reckon John lived to a ripe old age. Now, he didn't have an easy life. He was in prison. He got himself into trouble. But we reckon John died as an old man. But see, the rest of them, the rest of them were crucified. The rest of them were stripped off their skin. The rest of them were speared to death, stabbed to death, stoned to death. Why would that happen? Why would anybody be going into a spot where, where they would have their lives taken from them? It's for the sake of the name of Christ. The men and women of John's vintage and the men and women that he is writing to in 3 John and those who have been sent out in 3 John, they, they do it for the sake of the name of Christ. For they come to realize that there is no greater name. There's nothing that compares to that precious name of Jesus. Friends, it is like honey on our lips, isn't it? And we say it an awful lot, I hope, in this church. We preach Christ and him crucified. Woe to me and woe to us if we do not preach the gospel. But I hope at some point today we will just stop for a wee second and, and say that name, Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. What a fitting name. For he would come to save his people from their sins. Yeshua, God, save. And here John writes to these lovers of the truth who are sending others out for the sake of the name. 
And friends, even us here in, in wee Balnehen, see when you put money in those wee blue bags and in a wee envelope that says mission account, I want you to get the report this year when it's printed and, and I want you not just to file it away because that's often what I do. Who reads the church reports or like the announcements? Who reads the announcements? None of us do that. See, this year, get the reports and read that list of individuals who have been supported financially by this church. And every one of them goes for the sake of the name of Christ. Big Steve Duncan, who was here a couple of weeks ago, he's in Canada. And Matt Strangheli, with a big beard, he's, he's going to Norway, God willing, this year, going to Norway, where there is zero reformed witness. And my wee sister-in-law out in Nigeria at this minute, and the Ibrahims in Egypt. And I could go on and list names of families and, and names of organizations who you and I support. And why do they do it? Why do we do it? Why do we put our hands in their pockets? Because of the sake of the name of Christ. For we know that whether it is on this island or other islands or on continents around this world, only truth needs to be preached and that truth is Jesus. Friends, that's Easter. It was extraordinary what happened. Not just a little bump in the road, not one of those things that you can tell the kids about in future. It was extraordinary. And in about an hour's time, I'll be getting into my wee car and, and going up to Board Mills and I'll be doing a funeral there. And I'll be going into a graveyard, not too unlike our graveyard here, and I'll be standing at the grave and and I suspect unless something amazing and miraculous happens, uh, the, the man who has died will be placed in that grave and there he will lie until the resurrection of the dead. Because that's what happens, isn't it? That's what happens. And maybe when we stand in the graveyards, there's a wee bit of us that thinks, well, that's it. It's all over. It's finished. No. Not for us. Not for us, because we say now to him, and we know that he is the one who declared, it is finished. Because of what he did on that cross, and because he is not in the tomb, we have a glorious hope as men and women of faith, that our brothers and sisters who are already at peace and in paradise, one day we will see them again. And one day we will rejoice with them as we sing in the presence of our Savior. What a name it is. Jesus. That's his name. That's the truth. That's what sets us free. And friends, today I rejoice at Easter. I rejoice today. But as you know, the, the truth doesn't always get to where it needs to go. And it was the same with John. He, he tells us in verse 9 about Diotrephes. Diotrephes likes to put himself first, says John. He, he does not acknowledge the authority of the apostles. If I come, says John, I'm going to sort this out. He, he has taught wicked nonsense against us. He refuses to welcome the brothers, and he has got far too much power in the local church because he even stops people who want to welcome the brothers, and he puts them out of the church. Friends, the story of the church of Christ has always been written in words like this. From John's day to this day, often this is what happened. There are men and women who, who come to church and walk through church and, and sit at the table at church and are baptized in church and sing in church, but they've never been part of the true church. The gospel hasn't got through. 
And week after week after week after week, the preacher preaches and it goes one ear and out the other. Friends, that is the reality. The, the work of the church of Jesus Christ is a supernatural work. I don't climb up here today and think to myself, well, Scott, you're young and you're handsome. And you've got nice glasses and you're going to really just rattle them today and they'll be impressed with your rhetoric and your speech and, and that fine East Belfast accent you've got. It's all about you, big fella. I've never said that. Because when I get up here, I have a wee Bible verse just there that reminds me of John's Gospel. Christ must increase and I must decrease. And folks, that's the reality. And so to every single Diotrephes in this church, maybe you're not a chancer, maybe you're not causing trouble, but if you don't have Jesus on this great day, oh, my friend, would you not wake up? Would you not give yourself a shake? You don't have Christ. Today of all days you've heard the good news of this crucified and raised Savior and yet your fingers are in your ears and things are okay for you because you are a good, fine member of the local church. Nonsense. Nonsense. Many good, fine members of the local church. Maybe individuals like Diotrephes with too much power in the local church Many men and women like that in the local church go to a lost eternity because they have ignored the message of the local church. Friends, not you. And certainly not today. Not you and not now. Let me say in simple terms the good news. Christ died for sin and raised for our justification. And all who repent of their sin and run from it into the arms of Christ by faith will be saved. And I pray that this would be a wonderful supernatural day when, when the diatrophies of our church will realize I need to stop the nonsense and I need to trust in Jesus. John says, beloved, don't imitate the evil that you see. Instead, as you have received Christ, imitate the good that you see on the pages of God's Word and the, the men and women of faith all around you. Be someone like Demetrius whose life has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. What does that mean? Well, their lives are in accordance with what we see in the pages of God's Word. Here's our example. The Christian faith is, as we said last week to the wee ones, an act of faith. It is a faith where we are in the Word, up to our knees in the Word of God. It is a faith that calls us to pray in the Holy Spirit. A faith that calls us to go out for the sake of the name. It is an act of faith. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, it is a faith that says, Now to Him. And however it is that we live today for the sake of Christ, now to him. And as you go on your way this Easter Sunday to your granny's house, now to him. And as you join me and the thousands of others who go to the north coast and are all raging, sitting in traffic and wanting to fight each other, now to him. And as you go to milk, or go to a funeral, or go to lie on a sofa, or go on your holidays, or do whatever it is you're going to do this week, now to Him. Because He alone 
has changed everything. Isn't it amazing that John finishes this wee letter by saying, I'd, I'd loads to write to you. I'd loads to say to you, but instead I want to come and see you face to face. Brothers and sisters, we have that opportunity. And I know you're looking at your watches. Uh, it's 10 past 12. I need these glasses checked. It's 10 past 12. I know you're thinking, Scott, come on. There's, there's a mountain of Easter eggs in the house. I need to get stuck into it. I, I know that. Give me 10 minutes after the service. Get, get yourself a cup of tea. Have yourself a wee bit of shortbread. Speak to one another. See one another face to face. And before you ask about Portrush and before you talk about the caravan and before you mention that you're off work, look each other in the eye and say now to him, no one and no thing compares to Jesus who remains the one who has brought radical, life-changing, history-making change to all who will believe. May every single one of us be counted in that number. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, but there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Amen. And we thank God for his word.